out of turn three, Stony Gates running side by side. It's the Kyle Palace Podcast with Toby LaGrange, presented by LaGrange Media and Productions. We got one upside down right in front of the Kyle Palace. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number two of the Kyle Palace Podcast. I'm your host, Toby LaGrange, and today the topic is Jumpin' Jack Johnson. And more specifically, it's an interview I did with Jumpin' Jack 10 years ago this fall in 2011 for the Area Auto Racing News as part of their Super Dirt Week edition. Now, today's podcast is going to have three parts to it. First, I'm going to go over just a little bit of news and notes. Not much, just a little bit. Second, I'm going to recite the entire interview from start to finish, basically the entire article in the Area Auto Racing News. I have that framed in my office. I have that in front of me right now as I will recite that from start to finish. In the third part, just some thoughts and why I chose to do this here for episode number two. So with no further ado, some news and notes. The Utica Rome Speedway is, of course, up for sale, if you haven't heard already. Hopefully racing will continue while they're looking for a buyer, and hopefully after the buyer has been signed has signed the contract and purchased the facility. I loved Utica Rome Speedway. first made my way there about 25 or so years ago as a young adult. Loved it from day one and went on to cover it for the Area Auto Racing News for three or four seasons oh, about 10 years ago. And I had some great times each and every Sunday night covering the fast half mile and hopefully it'll continue on for generations to come. Another track near and dear to my heart, the Fonda Speedway. Well, they'll have a promoter lease for two more seasons. Brett Deo has extended his lease through October 2023, or the 2023 season. The Montgomery County Agricultural Society, a.k.a. the Fonda Fairboard, met, and of course they're the owners of the property, they met recently and extended his lease for two more seasons. So congratulations to Brett Deo on two more years at the Fonda Speedway, and a big thank you to the Fonda Fair Board of the Montgomery County Agricultural Society for extending his lease and ensuring the track of champions is in good hands for at least two more seasons. So that'll do it for part one. Part two is on its way, and that's going to be the Q&A, the interview with Jumpin' Jack from October of 2011. Part two of today's episode of the Kyle Palace, my interview with Jumpin' Jack. As a title of the Auto Racing News from October 4th, 2011, the Super Dirt Week issue says, Toby LaGrange goes one-on-one with Dirt Modified Legend Jack Johnson. I'm going to read this from start to finish, um, and then part three of this podcast, give you some more thoughts of mine on Jumpin' Jack and why I am reading this to you here this afternoon. Located about 30 minutes southwest of Albany, the small town of Duanesburg, New York, is best known for its rich agriculture and farmland. However, to thousands of race fans throughout the Northeast and beyond, the Schenectady County town is famous for being home to one of the most recognizable names in dirt-modified racing, Jack Johnson. Since enduring a hard wreck in Turn 1 at the Fonda Speedway a couple of seasons ago, Jumpin' Jack has been pretty silent, privately dealing with ongoing health issues. On an early fall afternoon, I had the honor and privilege of sitting down with the two-time Super Dirt Week champion and discussing his thoughts on our great sport, both past and present. It has been 27 years since Jack dominated the 1984 season, winning everything he could win on the New York State Fairgrounds Oval, including his final Super Dirt Week triumph. What follows are 27 topics we discussed while sitting at a picnic table located behind the Payneburn Road speed shop he made famous. And before I start reading the um, question and answer part of this, 
I uh, just want to let you know, again, I'm reading this for the first time in 10 years, and I could make some mistakes. I'm also battling a cold, so if I don't sell myself, I apologize ahead of time. Myself, what do you miss most about getting behind a wheel? Jumping Jack. It's the driving in competition, just racing. It's hard to miss anything because Ronnie is racing, other than driving, but I can't even miss that because of my health. I couldn't even race if I wanted to. There's not too much I honestly miss about it because I am still involved with him. Myself, you have accomplished so much in this sport. Is there anything out there that you haven't accomplished that you wish you had? Jumping Jack. To be honest with you, Toby, no. I have always said this. I have been lucky to be able to do something that I love and I have been able to make a living on. I love doing what I was doing and there are not too many more things that I think I could have done other than just win more. Myself. Of those many accomplishments, which ones are you most proud of? Jumping Jack. Winning the Flemington 200 in 1972. It was the first time I had ever been to that track, and it was their first 200. It was a real challenging racetrack. Naturally, winning Syracuse 1979 and being the first New Yorker to win it ranks right up there. Myself. You were a long-time regular at the Albany Saratoga Speedway. What are your thoughts on C.J. Richards announcing that the track is officially for sale? It's too bad. It's a shame, but the way it's go it was going, I didn't like what was going on there. I don't like asphalt racing. It's just a shame. What else can you say? Now, let me preface this by saying this was before Howard Commander and Lyle DeVore took over the Army Saratoga Speedway. Myself, every driver has someone they turn to when they first start out. Who was it for you? Jumpin' Jack, there were a lot of guys that I turned to for advice in my career, like Jeep Herbert and Kenny Shoemaker. They were probably two of the most helpful guys when I started racing. Myself. Was there anyone that you looked up to on the track? Jumpin' Jack. I looked up to all the guys that were winning back then. Pete Corey, Lou Lazaro. It's hard to say Lou Lazaro because I raced with him. Jeep Kenny and Will Cagle as well. For me, or I'm sorry, myself. Uh, for me, one of the best things about growing up in the 1980s was your rivalry with C.D. Colville. Now, some are comparing that rivalry with the brewing ones between Ronnie and Bobby Varon. Do you see any similarities? Jumpin' Jack. Not really. Honestly, they're both hard chargers. You know when they are running. You know that they are behind you. They are never going to quit. If there was a 200-lap race, then you'd better race for 200 laps. I know CD would run right to the end, and I know Bobby runs the same way. They are very similar. There was a lot of electricity back then. When CD fans were around and my fans, everybody thought we were enemies, but we were really, really good friends. We really were. I mean, I would have done anything for him, and I am sure if I needed something and he had it, he would have done the same for me. It made it seem worse. I mean, on the racetrack, we weren't friends. Naturally, because we both wanted to win. Myself. What do you remember the most about racing against CD? Jumping Jack. There never really were any bad parts. He was very challenging. Like I said, when you raced with him, you had to race hard, or you weren't going to run first. He was going to be right there. Whether he had a flat tire, broken shock, or whatever, he just would run hard. Myself. We know who you looked up to on the track, but who were the drivers you loved to race with? Jumpin' Jack. I liked them all, to be honest with you. I really did. I probably learned the most from running with Kegel. Back then, he was so much more advanced than we were, and he brought our playing field to another level. We had, to get, we had to really get our act together to race with him. 
One year, I think I ran second to him 16 times. It was like 1971 or 1972. Myself. Having won 11 track championships at Fonda, how does the feeling of winning those compare to seeing Ronnie win his first? Jumpin' Jack. I know that Ronnie had to be really happy, especially growing up watching what I did, what Louie did. He has been going to the races since he was a baby. I am sure it's something he really wanted to accomplish. I tell you, he did a really good job this year. Myself. Over the years, you have given Ronnie countless pieces of advice. What do you think is the most important? Jumpin' Jack. Honestly, do not act stupid on the racetrack or off the racetrack. Just carry yourself real well around people. And when you get out of the race car, and this is my deal, when the race is over, it's over. Just turn the page. Myself. When Ronnie first made it clear that he wanted to race, what did you tell him? Jumpin' Jack. He had better learn to work hard on the race car and want to work on it because I wasn't going to work on it for him. You know what? He could have raced a lot earlier in his career if he wanted to. Until he really showed me that he was serious about wanting to work on the race car, it wasn't going to happen. I had a race car sitting there all ready to go. I gave it to him, but not until he wanted to work on it. Ronnie was so much more advanced than most of these guys at that age, or at that stage because he was working with me. But until he wanted to work on the race car and devote all of his time to it, it wasn't going to happen. This isn't all fun and games. Myself. Who are some others that had the same work ethic? Bobby, uh, uh, Jumpin' Jack. Bobby Varon used to come here, as, here years ago. I gave him parts and helped him. That kid worked. CD is another one. I remember him in the garage with a sand floor working like a dog because he wanted to race. That's the way I did it. You want to race, then you have to go out and work on the race car. My father wasn't going to do it for me. Myself. Looking out over the local fields, is there anybody out there right now that reminds you of yourself? Jumpin' Jack. Honestly, Ronnie does. He works hard. He's very serious about it. There's no BS in the garage. He takes it very seriously and loves what he's doing. That's the way I was, and honestly, I lived it, I ate it, and I slept it. It was my life. Myself. If an inspiring inspiring driver came to you for advice on getting started, what would you tell them? Jumpin' Jack. If you want to drive a race car... Get your butt in the garage. Actually, what I would do is tell them to work with a race team for a year or two and learn to be a mechanic. Learn the ins and outs, how to mount tires, how to adjust valves, and how to set up a race car. A lot of these guys don't know what camber is or anything. They don't know what stagger is. It's a shame. I mean, you wouldn't believe the cars that come here. These young guys just don't know. Myself. Back when you first started racing, you had to build pretty much everything. Today, hardly anything is built. What are your thoughts on the cars of today? Jumpin' Jack. Listen, that's the way it is. It's the same for everybody. I don't like it, but you know what? Think about it. If you had to go to the junkyard and buy all the stuff, where would you go anyway? It's almost got to be this way. It's kind of like a racetrack. People complain about racetracks. It's slippery, but it's the same for everybody. I feel the same way about race cars. The only thing that I don't like is that it's so expensive. A young guy wants to get started today. It's a tough deal. It's sickening, really. That budget sportsman class is probably the best deal that's come along right now for a young guy that wants to get involved in racing, as long as they police the rules. Myself, Brett Hearn and Dave Lape have promoted events. Have you ever considered doing the same? Jumpin' Jack, at one time I thought that I wanted to do it, but you know what? Just looking at the way the economy is, watching what Rick Lucia 
goes through, Rick is a good friend of mine. But with all the rain outs and all that he's got to do to get that thing done, I really don't think I could do it anymore. I would have to be 20 years younger. Myself. Hypothetically, if you were part, put in charge of Super Dirt Week and your only focus was to improve it, what would you do? That's a hard question. First thing is that the racetrack sucks. I mean, it's really not a race. There's a lot of luck involved there, but you know what? That's a real hard question. I would really have to think about that. Other than the racetrack being groomed well, and I don't know how they can control that with the state involved, they just don't want to spend the money. Myself. There used to be three races on the Moody Mile each year, 4th of July, Labor Day, and Super Dirt Week. Do you think if they returned to that, it would help? Jumping Jack. That would help, but I am sure the way the state runs it, you couldn't do it anyway. You know, it gives you an edge if you have a car just for Super Dirt Week. I don't like that. I don't like that you have to have a car just for that racetrack and can only run it one time. Myself. Of your Syracuse accomplishments, which ones are you most proud of? Jumping Jack. In 1984, I went there, Syracuse, and I won the 4th of July race, the Labor Day race. I sat in the pole for Super Dirt Week, won the Winner's Classic, and won the race. It's never been done before, and I'm really proud of that. I won everything they had that year. Myself. What are some things that you don't see track promoters doing right now that you think they should be doing? Jumping Jack. That's another hard question because of the way the economy is. There are a lot of things that I think they should do, but it will never happen just because of the money situation. There are a lot of things that if I was a promoter, I would want to see, like rules to control the cost. But you know what? We have been saying this for 30 or 40 years, and it never happens. And I don't think it will ever, well, it will ever change. I really don't. Myself. In your eyes, how has racing changed over the past 20 or 30 years? Jumping Jack. Money. Really. Just think about the expense. It's brutal. If you want to start racing and you want it to run Fonda or Lebanon Valley in a modified, you would need around $30,000 for a motor, another twenty-five dollars to $30,000 for a car. Where does the average guy get that today? I remember winning the Christopher Columbus race in 1972 at Fonda. A Canadian, Frank Hodge, came to me, up to me after the race I wanted to buy my car. I sold it for $6,000. Think about it. A car, motor, tires, and everything. He put it in the trailer and took off with it. He bought it right there off from Checkboard Square from me. Myself. What about these young guys in carts? Jumping Jack. I feel sorry for these young guys in go-karts that want to race. How are you going to do it financially? That's another thing. You talk about advice for the young guys. They should start in go-karts and get a feel. Ronnie did. Dave Lape did. I did. To jump right in a modified today is a tough deal. Myself. What are your thoughts on the current state of dirt modified racing as a whole? Not good. I mean, it's very obvious what's going on. It all comes back to money. They say the promoter should pay more. How can they pay more? Just look at them grandstands. It's horrible. I don't know what's going on. Maybe there are too many computer games, etc. You can't get a young kid to help. All of these guys working on Ronnie's cars are my guys. They're all in their 50s and 60s. Where are the young guys that want to work on race cars? Myself. Outside of Ronnie, who are some of your favorite drivers to watch these days? Jumpin' Jack. I like Ryan Odez at Fonda. I like watching Bobby Varon. He is good. When Dave Kamara was racing, I helped him. I also helped Billy Decker. I loved watching Billy. Jumping Jack. Or excuse me, Ariato, which is myself. Jack, I'm going to mention a name or place. Please tell me the first thing that comes to mind when you hear it. Lou Lazaro. Jumping Jack. Outstanding. Because he could run dirt and asphalt. Go anywhere and win. Albany Saratoga Speedway. 
in the Bruce Richards era. Jumpin' Jack, pathetic. At one time, they had the best of the best there. I was there from day one when it was dirt. It was unreal. Dave Late, Jumpin' Jack, good driver. He is dedicated. Rick Lucia, Jumpin' Jack, good friend. He works very hard, probably harder than anyone else I've ever seen work on a racetrack. Crate engines, Jumpin' Jack, good if they police it. If they police it, then I think it's the best thing going. Barefoot Bob McCready, Jumpin' Jack, good friend, probably one of the best racers I ever raced, together, ever raced with. The late Gene DeWitt, Jumpin' Jack, I never met anybody that loved racing as much as Gene did. He was the best sponsor that I ever had. Bruce Richards, Jumpin' Jack, I honestly believe Bruce probably works hard on the racetrack and promotes well, but he is not a people person. Glenn Donnelly, Jumpin' Jack. I was probably one of the biggest guys that complained about Glenn Donnelly, but going back and thinking, he was probably the best thing that ever happened to dirt racing. He and I had our ins and outs, but being honest, he is the best thing that ever happened to dirt track racing, and we didn't appreciate it. Dirt Car Northeast, Jumpin' Jack. At the time, terrible. I think they are all about money, and they have just run the thing into the ground. Let me preface that. That was back 10 years ago. Things had definitely changed. Brett Hearn, Jumpin' Jack. Brett Hearn is probably one of the best prepared race drivers and car owners, car owners that I have ever come across. His record speaks for itself. He is well-spoken and can attract sponsors. He is very accomplished. Howard Commander, Jumpin' Jack. Howie is a friend of mine. Howie is Howie. Lebanon Valley speaks for itself. He packs the place. Myself. There's one question that the racing world has wanted to know the answer I'm sorry, let me, let me repeat that. There's one question that the racing world has wanted to know the answer to for a couple of years. How is Jack Johnson? Jumpin' Jack. Honestly, Toby, I'm going through a time right now where I don't even know what's going on. I've got some muscle problems in my arms and shoulders. I have been going to the doctor once a month, and I go for therapy three times a week. How am I doing? I am just going to hang in there and just keep doing what I am doing until I find out what's wrong. I really don't know what's going on, but I just, I will just keep fighting. So that's my interview with Jumpin' Jack Johnson from the fall of 2011. Stay tuned to part three for my take on this interview and some other tidbits on Jumpin' Jack. In part three of episode two of the Kyle Palace podcast, I want to take a little time and explain why I chose to recite this interview from nearly a decade ago. From time to time, I will be reciting different articles from various newspapers, history books, magazines, and websites that I have collected over the years that pertain to the episode's topic. Some were penned by me early in my motorsports career, and others were published by others. Episode number two is one of those podcasts. Of all the interviews I have done and articles I have created, this is by far my favorite. It didn't win any awards, and while it should have, it really didn't need to. In fact, some of my, be- some of my least favorite articles that I have penned are the ones that earned me awards, yet those that I love are the ones that hang on my home office walls. Other than maybe my first interview, which was about 20 years ago, with the now former Aaron Crocker, a.k.a. Aaron Everham, this was the only time that I was really nervous heading to an interview. I wasn't just nervous, I was actually scared as I made that drive from my then office in Albany to Dwaynesburg. 
By this time in my career, I had interviewed hundreds of drivers, officials, and personalities over my then 10 years as a writer. So why was I scared? I was scared that I would screw it up. Not because the area auto racing news was counting on a big interview for me. With no offense directed towards Lenny Stammons and staff, I really didn't care too much what they thought about this one particular article. I only cared about what Jumpin' Jack thought. During my early days as a writer, I penned a lot of immature articles. I am the first one to admit it. I did so based on the urging of a former website owner who gave me my first opportunity. It took being bounced from that site due to sponsorship sponsorship issues and a few others for less than professional content to get me to realize that the advice I was given was not the smartest, not even close. One of my fatal flaws is that I'm loyal, and that really bit me on this one. I actually credit former Gator Racing News writer Dave Medler for breaking me out of that ignorant bubble that I found myself in. Without that advice, I never would have received that November call from the late Area Auto Racing News editor, Jerry Regal, to join the Area Auto Racing News staff. During that time period, I had written some ignorant opinions on things around local racing, and shamefully, Jack's name appeared more than once. My then editor assured me that this would bring clicks to my articles, and it would do great things for me. He assured me that this is how it worked. So my then 22-year-old foolish self followed that foolish advice. Because of this, I was afraid of letting Jack, Ronnie, and their family down. I approached Ronnie regarding this interview during his champion celebration after the night of features a short time before the interview took place back in 2011. He checked with his dad and he gave me a call, letting me know when to come down. To sum it up, I couldn't let my childhood favorite, my mother's favorite, and my dear late aunt's favorite down, and in my mind anyway, down again. That interview took about two to three hours. I sat on that picnic table alongside the speed shop, and we talked about a lot more than what made the Auto Racing News um, article. He talked about my father, he talked about me and my future, and we talked about my past, including those ignorant early days of mine. He gave me some advice regarding racing and what I do, which I fall back on to this day, which is carried over to announcing. I was actually just as scared after the interview as I drove back home to Gloversville. I was scared that I would not word it correctly, or that in the editing process, it will lose context somehow. This leads me to why I chose to recite this interview here today. The date August 7, 2021 will be a special one for all those who love the Fonda Speedway. It's the 50th anniversary of Jack Johnson's first win at the Fonda Speedway, which was August 7, 1971. It is no secret that Jack has suffered from some, from some pretty rough health issues over the past decade, and heading into the season, before the first green flag waved, I wanted to make sure everyone has Jumpin' Jack in their minds and hearts. He has given so much to so many in our great sport that this is the least that I could do. It may not make sense to some, but it does to me, and this coming from someone who misses seeing him cranking it through turn four past the iconic Fonda Speedway Cow Palace. This episode of the Cow Palace will also be turned into a column on Race Pro Weekly in the coming weeks, so please stay tuned for that. Episode number three of the Cow Palace podcast will be coming your way on Friday, February 19th, and will be entitled The Dark Days Along the Mohawk, a look at the tragic racing deaths at the Fonda Speedway. Until then, stay safe and remember to support those that support racing. This has been a LaGrange Media Production. 
LaGrange Media, your home for podcasts, driver ranking programs, and announcing and voiceover services. Are you in need of an announcer for your race, game, or event? How about an MC for your banquet or fundraiser? Or maybe you are looking at creating a commercial for your business or event and need someone to do the voiceover. If so, give me a call. I can be reached at 518-844-2196 via email at lagrangemedia at yahoo.com or through Facebook and Twitter. Professional, prepared, dependable, and experienced. Give Toby LaGrange a call today.